Well, good morning. So thankful again to be here. And we are going to be looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. So if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> and I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we just read through the first 14 verses. So if you do that, we'll stand before God, before the reading of his word. And ask him to give us understanding. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his own will. To the end, that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Father, please help us as we look to your word. Holy Spirit, teach us. Lead us into truth. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Give us hearts to understand. We ask for your blessing and for you to superintend the teaching and preaching of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we have been working our way through Ephesians when I've had the opportunity to come and take the pulpit. And we left off in verse 8, if you recall, if you've been with us. So let me just read. I'd like to focus this morning on the last half of verse 7 and work our way through the end of verse 9. According to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now, you know, you'll notice that um, I just read those verses 
out of the New King James. So if you have a New King James, that was verbatim. I did that on purpose because I really appreciate the translation of these verses, in particular, verse eight, which he made to abound toward us. So we continue the study here in Ephesians and we pick up where we left off, as I said. And to this point in our study, we've looked at and considered some of the most glorious, spiritually deep and rich doctrines in the scripture. In scripture. I mean, God is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world in Christ. He made us holy and blameless before him in Christ. He placed his love upon us in Christ. He predestined us to adoption as sons in Christ to himself. He made known to us the kind intention of his will through Christ. He brought us into the praise of the glory of his grace in Christ. He redeemed us to himself through the shed blood of Christ. I love the song we just sang. Redeemed, purchased, paid for, all in Christ, through the blood of Christ. We talked about that last time. And he has forgiven our sin according to the riches of his grace in Christ. I mean, you remember last time we mentioned that the Apostle Paul approximately 25 times in these 23 verses of the first chapter references Christ and like 58 times, I think, yeah, in those same 23 verses, he references God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. That's a lot in a little time. His point, it's all about God. It's all about Christ. It's all about the Holy Spirit. All is for God's glory. Everything is for him. Everything is for God's glory. He made it for himself. All things are for his glory, purpose, and pleasure. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Wouldn't it be helpful for us to boot up every day with that truth at the forefront of our thinking, top shelf? Everything is for your glory, O oh God. Not for me. Constant battle, right? Who will I worship today or in this moment? Also, we remember, and the reason why I read verses 1 through 14, it's one long sentence. Well, actually, from 3 to 14. Just an ongoing sentence from the apostle. Commas, no periods in the original. And Paul has been teaching us and leading us from one glorious, astonishing, sound doctrinal truth to the next. He's been laying the foundation with Christ as the chief cornerstone, laying truth upon truth, precept upon precept, sound doctrine upon sound doctrine. And you know what? That was his job, along with Peter and the other apostles, to lay the foundation 
First Corinthians chapter three, verse 10, Paul says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And then Ephesians chapter two, verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We are anchored. The foundation is anchored in the, the plumb line is pulled from the chief cornerstone, Christ himself. Paul's doing his job. So let's look back at the progression that we've kind of covered. As Paul, under the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit, does his foundational work. Foundational to the Christian faith is that God chose us in Christ. Verse 4 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Foundational to the Christian faith is that God predestined us in Christ. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Remember, we talked about that. God, in the adoption process, raised us to an adult sonship, sonship status so that we have all the rights and privileges of Christ. That's foundational. Foundational to the Christian faith is that God redeemed us in Christ, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. And now the apostle continues his work of laying the foundation by telling his readers of the mystery of the will of God made known to us by his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Another word for prudence would be insight. This rich, abounding grace, which is lavished, that's how the NASB puts it, lavished on all believers, does not stop at redemption and forgiveness, but continues and is made to abound toward us so that all believers may have all wisdom and insight which is absolutely necessary. It is critical. In fact, without it, you can't know the mystery of God. We have to have wisdom and insight from God to know his mystery. And the only way one can have the knowledge of his eternal purpose in Christ is to have wisdom from God and prudence. Again, our, our text according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his... So here at this point, we need to ask a few questions. What is the mystery of his will? Why is the mystery of his will a mystery? And can a person discover the mystery of God's will on their own? Well, so first, let's take what is the mystery of his will? And to answer this question, I think it would help us to look at what the mystery of his will is not. It's not a mystic secret. 
shrouded in some mystic religion, as many of the cults and false religions claim, with their secret practices and rituals in their secret rooms, wearing all the mystical garments, reserved only for a select few, who have gone through some kind of initiation in order to be granted knowledge of and access to their so-called religious ceremony while excluding everyone else. Their mystery religion is treated as a closely guarded secret. Um, thinking this way about the mystery of his will is antithetical to the Bible. It's opposed. It's completely opposite to the gospel, which is proclaimed and preached. Listen to what Paul says regarding preaching and proclaiming. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ, crucified, proclaimed, a stumbling block for the Jews and to the Gentiles' foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Gentiles and Greeks, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. Acts chapter 13, verse 32, we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. Again, proclaiming. In 1 Corinthians 15, 11, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. It's quite a contrast, right? Between those who would think of God's mystery as some mysterious, secret, mystic religion concealed for a select few. So back to the question, what exactly is the mystery of his will? Turn over to Colossians chapter 1, and let's, let's read verse 24 through 27. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, <laughs> now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, and here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's staggering. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here it is, God's mystery, his eternal plan of salvation. God planned to save a people for himself, chosen and predestined before creation of both Jews and Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. All in Christ, Christ in all. All for the glory of God. This is the mystery the apostle is speaking of in Ephesians 1.9, which has been in the mind of God 
from eternity past, before God created, his plan, his decree went forth for his glory. Listen to Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Please turn to John 17. We're going to read verses 19 through 26 to reinforce this idea that this was all in the mind of God before he created, before the foundation of the world. In this prayer, we are invited into a very intimate time between God the Father and God the Son. This is a conversation between Jesus Christ and his Father. Listen to his tone and, and his words, of course. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us this morning, by the way. If you believe. Listen to this request, verse 21, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them and they that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. In the mind of God, every one of us, every person who believes, you're not in the mind of God and, and rescued, redeemed, and chosen because of your good works. You weren't here when the decision was made. I wasn't here. God was. That is humbling and such a point of praise. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you that you wrote my name in your book because you wanted to. So the mystery of his will is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Second, why is the mystery of his will a mystery? The mystery of his will is not incomprehensible, unknowable, or vague for Christians, as some have falsely asserted and continue to falsely claim today. There are those false teachers who put their false notions out that the Bible is not infallible. Their claim is that the Bible was written by men and therefore cannot be the infallible, or that is to say, um, trustworthy, reliable, or unfailing, inerrant, or to say, free from error, 
inspired, authoritative, and eternal word of the living God. They assert that God's word is not propositional, that his written word cannot be asserted or taken as absolute truth because it's all a mystery. Their claim is that every person has their own encounter with God. Have you ever heard that? They have their own encounter with God, and therefore, that person has their own truth concerning God. This is the so-called modern theology position, which is rooted in error. Rooted in error. Questioning the very word of the true and living God. Does that sound familiar? If you read Genesis chapter 3, remember Eve was telling the serpent what God had told Adam. And in Genesis 3, 1, the serpent says, Indeed, as God said. So it's as old as the garden, right? Questioning the word of God. But God says, My word is forever settled in heaven. And not one jot or tittle, Jesus says, will pass away. I mean, of the word. Heaven and earth may pass away, but not my word. And to question God isn't new. It's just repackaged. Um, Paul warns about this in 1 Timothy 4. He says, but the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, says that in the latter, latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy there of liars, uh, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, cauterized, calloused, unfeeling, not tender. In 2 Timothy 3, he says this, but realize this, Paul speaking to Timothy, that in the last days, difficult, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, haters of good, uh, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I missed a couple. <laughs> arrogant revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy in the last times. Um, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. If you just did a little bit of research on the history of the church, um, there are some devilish people that, I mean, fall into this category. And really, those attitudes are in all of our hearts, left to ourselves. But if any man be in Christ, he's a new what? New creature, new creation. He's new. Old things are gone. New things have come. And then in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine sound teaching, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth 
and turn aside to miss. So again, why is the mystery of his will a mystery? The answer is the mystery of his will is a mystery because it originated in the counsel of the Godhead from eternity past, far away from man's ability to know, comprehend, or understand on his own. The mystery of God's will, um, it's inaccessible. It's unknowable. It's undiscoverable. Well, I shouldn't say unknowable. It's undiscoverable and hidden from man. It's God's unrevealed secret. That's why it's a mystery. Until... It is revealed in Christ. Then it's no longer a mystery. We know what the mystery is. God chose a people for himself so that his glory would shine through us and we would reflect back to him his glory. Listen to what the scripture says about this mystery. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. And the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus said to them, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been granted. Again, in verse 34 of Matthew 13, all these things, Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables and will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. In Luke chapter 10, turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes which see what you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. The mystery is a mystery to a, to a people because God knows how to keep a secret. But to us, it's not a mystery. He only reveals his secret, his mystery, through the wisdom and insight that he gives according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound Toward us in Christ. Believers know the mystery of his will only because of his rich grace. The Greek word here for wisdom, Sophia, wisdom, higher, lower, spiritual, or worldly. This is speaking here of that higher spiritual wisdom required for a person to know the mystery of his will and the salvation of man in Christ and can only be obtained through the rich grace of God, which he made to abound towards. I'm going to repeat that multiple times. God gave it to us richly. He made to abound to us in all wisdom and prudence. Listen, how to, listen to how this word is used in the following verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom, Sophia, and of revelation in the knowledge of him, this higher 
spiritual wisdom. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. A higher spiritual wisdom from God. And understanding, which is actually another word for prudence. And why? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we can make an argument. We need the wisdom of God to know God. You can't know God unless God gives you the wisdom to know him. We can't serve him. We can't um, live for him and, and accomplish the good works that he purposed for us without his wisdom and without his the power of his spirit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. The wisdom of God completes us. We know God, and it is a grace of God to give us wisdom and prudence. So this is not that lower earthy or earthly, both ways, earthy and earthly, wisdom. And James says about this wisdom, but the wisdom of from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. It's not an act. The wisdom of God leads us into truth. So we have his wisdom and we also have prudence or insight from God that we may know the mystery of his will. The Greek word here used for prudence is phronesis, moral insight. It's used in scripture of understanding, knowledge, and a holy love for the will of God, prudence, biblical prudence. We have an example of biblical prudence in Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 16, there's an example of biblical prudence with um, meaning understanding knowledge and a holy love for the will of God in the account of the angel Gabriel when he's talking to Zacharias about John the Baptist. And what did he say about his soon-to-be-here son, John? He says, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist loved, he had a holy love for the will of God. This was the will of God. Phronesis, biblical prudence, knowledge, understanding, and loving the will of God. Loving what he loves, hating what he hates. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, another example. 
Paul, he's begging, therefore I urge you, or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Makes sense. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Biblical prudence, a holy love for the will of God. And demonstrated, we love the will of God in our actions, not just our words, in our actions. And only a Christian can do that. If you're not a believer here this morning, this is Greek, or this is just, what's he talking about? But I see some nodding heads out here. Christians, you know what I'm talking about. You know the word. The Spirit abides in you. And if you're not a believer here this morning, our earnest plea, our hope is that you will come to Christ, that you will love Christ, that you will repent and believe that God sent his Son so that you can live and have new life and the hope of of eternal life. That's our hope. So, This idea of biblical prudence to love the will of God. And then Timothy writes this to, or uh, Paul writes this to Timothy. First Timothy chapter one, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Biblical prudence. God given biblical prudence is to have a mind given to the affection of God's will to love the will of God. And as I said before, Christians, all Christians, all Christians love the will of God. All of us. But when we're not loving it, that's a rough time because we're under conviction, right? It's not easy. Thank God. It's not easy. God has brought us to himself. Our life belongs to him. He paid for us. The Bible's clear. We have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Okay, so third, can a person discover the mystery of the will of God on their own? In a word? No. No way. I mean, no, full stop. Some really struggle with that. But the Bible doesn't. Why is that? Well, let's look to the scripture for the answer. Okay, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. This is pre-flood, pre-judgment. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he wrote this in Ecclesiastes um, chapter 9, verse 3. The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. And insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Remember, Solomon tested, right? Tested his heart and didn't deny his heart and his desire anything. He had the money, 
power, influence to do whatever he wanted. Interesting that he wrote that. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So it has to be no. A man cannot know the mystery of God's will on their own. The apostle uh, writes very clearly about this in both of his letters to the church in Corinth. So please turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's, let's read these verses um, regarding this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verse 18 through 31. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the, the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that not many, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the, and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. Why? So that no man may boast before God. You know, when I, well, verse 30 but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I was just going to make a comment that no man can boast before God. You would think that the religious leader of the day, the Pharisee who said this, God, in Luke 18, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I pay tithe of all that I have. I fast twice a week. And I, I thank you. I'm not like this wretched tax gatherer over here, this sinner. As I read that, it makes me ask a question of myself. Is there ever a time that I can commend myself to God? and point to my good works? And as though he would recognize my good works and pay me for it? Never. 
Because what does the Bible say about our good works? Filthy rags, filthy rags, repulsive. So can a person discover the mystery of his will on their own? Okay, we're reading a lot this morning, but I want to continue on. Let's look at chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. When I came to you, verse 1, brethren, I did not come with proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. That's that lower worldly wisdom, earthly wisdom, earthy, James talks about. But in demonstration of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom. Now we're back to the higher. Among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. There it is again from eternity past. This was all in the mind of God. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's, you think? I mean, yeah, had they understood it, but they didn't. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen nor ear has heard, and have not entered in or entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. I'm going to ask, give me your attention for a moment on this point. Listen, I'm going to read verse 10 again. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? You don't know my thoughts. I don't know your thoughts. That's what Paul is saying. Well, listen. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Following? Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. What Paul is saying, God has given us his thoughts, so to speak. We know what, he's, what his intentions are, what his will is. His spirit has revealed it. Now listen, verse 13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, the Holy Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually 
appraised, or maybe your Bible says discerned. It's all spiritual. But he who is spiritual appraises or judges all things, yet he himself is appraised or judged by no one. And then verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ because the spirit of the living God has taking, taking, or taken up residence in our hearts. That's why we actually live in the heavenly realm right now. Christ is here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit residing in you. When we sin, we sin before the face of God. He sees. He's with us. We live Coram Deo. But what a grace to know the mind of Christ because the Holy Spirit has revealed the mind of Christ. That's how we have the mind of Christ. Not because of some um, discipline and, and, and study. I, I remember um, men in history past would lock themselves up. Well, the monks would do this to study, to find God. He's been revealed through Christ by his spirit in his word that is eternal. Finally, at the end of verse nine, we read this. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, why has God chosen to make the mystery of his will known to anyone? Since man is so corrupt and sin has completely ruined all of humanity, as scripture makes abundantly clear, why would God choose to reveal his awesome, glorious, majestic, holy presence to anyone? Why would he do that? Listen to the this description of man's condition before God. This is Job chapter 15. What is man that he should be pure or he who is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Behold, he, God, puts no trust in his holy ones and the heavens are not pure in his sight. And what the writer means by that is God is holy. God is other. His creation is his creation. Angels, um, the heavenly hosts, all created by God, but God is other. In that sense, they're not pure, as God is pure. They're not God. But if, if he doesn't trust his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, here's the question, how much less one who is detestable and corrupt, man who drinks iniquity like water. So that's our condition. Why would God choose us? What compelling thing could have possibly happened that God says, oh, I like this one. We are saved. We are Christians because God is kind. And it's what he wanted to do. It's according to the kind intention 
of his will. Kind intention, the Greek for that is yodakia. I'll check with my brother afterwards. It's probably not pronounced right. But satisfaction. Subjectively, delight. Objectively, kindness. Uh, biblical usage for this word is will, choice, kindly intent, benevolence, wish, purpose, delight, good pleasure, satisfaction, desire. The Apostle Paul, uh, being the good teacher that he is, actually repeats this twice in the verses we've read, verse 5 and verse 9. And, of course, someone said that all good teachers repeat themselves. And if a person is proclaiming the word of God, they have something worth repeating. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention. And listen how it's used in these other verses. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing. Eurekia, in your sight. Well-pleasing, it pleased God. It pleased him. Uh, that's hard for me to get the math done in my head. Um, I'm, uh, I'll confess, I'm usually pleased when things go my way. God, forgive me. Thank God. He's <laughs> Our God is merciful and kind and loving, and his pleasure is his pleasure. I just want to say thank you, God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that it's your pleasure. And because it was your pleasure to rescue my soul, I want to live for you, to please you. I want to enter into that pleasure. Does that make sense? God help us. Um, Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Same word. Same word. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Or, yeah, 21. At that very time, he, Christ, greatly rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Same word. And then last one, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Wow. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to consider, ponder, meditate, think deeply on our great God who has chosen us, predestined us, redeemed us, and made the mystery of his will known to us. Consider Titus chapter 3. Listen to this. For we also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, 
deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. My prayer for us this morning um, comes from Paul. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, that we all may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. God help us to understand to comprehend, to know, and to live. And as we do consider these things, I pray that we will enter into the worship session that this psalmist in Psalm 149 was in when he wrote these words. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. And praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him on the instruments. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Amen. Please stand with me as we pray. Oh God, please help us to know and understand these rich eternal truths of Scripture. Lord, help us. Help us to know the riches of your grace that abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Help us, oh God, to comprehend more and more what it means to have the mystery of your will revealed to us, which is in Christ, our hope of glory. Strengthen us, Lord Jesus, to boldly preach and proclaim without shame the infallible, inerrant, inspired, authoritative, the eternal word of the living God, the gospel. Help us, O Holy Spirit, as we worship the triune God for all his mercies and grace shown to us in Christ, cause us to remember that everything is about you. All things are for your glory, for your purpose, and for your pleasure. Please, O oh Christ, grant 
that we, your people, not lay our hands on what only belongs to you, your eternal glory. May we love your will more than we love our own. May we love God. May we love Christ. May we love the Holy Spirit supremely. Help us, Lord. Help us. We know that you love us. All we have to do is look at the cross. You, God, are our only hope. Bless your people as we go. Settle these things in our heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.